Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we come to the second installment of our brand new sermon series, Reflecting on Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But what does that mean? Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and let's find the answer together as we hear from bankruptcy to blessedness from Pastor David Wilson. When you're singing about Jesus, there's no one like him. He's not one of the ways. He's the only way. And, and, and when you sing about Jesus, you just can't help but be grateful. We're beginning to look at one of his sermons. Sermon probably lasted several hours. We get a synopsis of it. Matthew gave us the Cliff's Notes version of it. Matthew chapter 5. One simple verse today. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And actually it says theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, please open our eyes to the truth, especially those who've never really given their life to Jesus. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. A little boy went to visit his grandfather on the grandfather's farm, and this grandfather was, was one of those kind of stern, old-fashioned religious guys, you know, by the book. And his young grandson was out walking around the barnyard, and he saw the chickens pecking on the ground and, and running around, and he said, nope, they ain't got it. Later on, he saw a little colt running around in the corral, kicking up his heels. The little boy said, nope, he ain't got it. Then they saw the donkey with a long, furrowed, sad face, and the lad said, yep, he's got it. Grandfather said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. What's the donkey have that the chickens and the colt don't have? He said, that's easy, Grandpa. They've got the same religion you have. There are a lot of people who come into church every Sunday. They don't have a clue that they should be just grateful that they're there. They come in out of habit. They come in out of, well, I'm going to get this over with. They come in out of duty. They come in not really thinking about what Jesus has done for them. The Beatitudes, as we call them, Matthew 5, 3 down through verse 12, that word Beatitudes comes from a Latin word. It's not a, it's not a, a biblical word. It, it, it simply means happy or supreme happiness. And we'd like to think of the, the Beatitudes, how to make people happy. And actually the word uh, Macarius is the word blessed or blessed as you see it in the scripture can mean happy, happy and fortunate and joyful. Some Bible translators don't use the word happy because Jesus was talking much more than you just being happy today, you know, feeling uh, uh, happy because this word is much deeper than that. 
Now, we know it's much deeper than that, and so we try to make it a holy word. We, we change the, the, the uh, pronunciation of this word unlike any other English word because we make it sound more holy by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we don't use any other word ending in ED that way. You didn't say I messed up my hair when I got dressed this morning, did you? <laughs> the word blessed is the word Macarius. And, and Macarius is, is much more than just being happy. Actually, it's the idea of being contented, fulfilled, satisfied, completed. It's the idea of the inner satisfaction and sufficiency that you are at peace and you are right with God. It is something that the world doesn't give you. It's something that you can't earn. You don't already have it. And by using this word, Jesus is saying it's possible for you to have complete joy and fulfillment and peace that no one on this earth or nothing in this world can take from you or give to you. No, no religion on this earth can give you this. None. No person can give you this. Jesus can, obviously. I mean, I'm talking about a person here on the earth. No, no religious person. It's an inner peace and feeling of fulfillment that's not affected by the woes and worries of life. It has nothing to do with your pitiful circumstances. Some of you had a pitiful week. Somebody got on your last nerve. Some of you just thought, you know what? It's cold today. I, this is the last place I want to be. You're anything but happy. However, that's not what this means. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It's a peace knowing that you are at peace with God. It also means divine approval. You've been approved by God. Only you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it, but you've been approved. You've been made right. Now, in the world, this seems the opposite. Because the world will say happy are the rich, the noble, the successful, the macho, the glamorous, the prestigious, the popular, the famous, the aggressive. And yet the message from Jesus is blessed, which has happiness in it, but blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I've already told you Jesus' kingdom is not of this world we're waiting to get to that kingdom. Now, his kingdom is in the world because he lives in us and we're part of the kingdom. But many preachers and teachers and writers today are passing off worldly philosophy under the guise of Christianity. And they're saying things like this. You know what? If you'll just be faithful to Jesus Christ, you're going to be healthy. If you're just faithful to Jesus Christ, you'll be wealthy. If you're faithful to Jesus Christ, you'll have success or prestige or prosperity. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said the opposite of that. Now, we're going to see that you don't have to be poor to be happy. But anybody that tells you, if you follow Jesus, you'll be healed every time you ask him. That sigh ought to tell you everything right there. You see, Jesus actually warned us. He actually warned us. He said, those of you who are wealthy, you've got to be really careful. Those of you who have a lot of abilities, you've got to be really careful. Those of you who have a lot of good looks, you've got to be really careful. The, those of you who have prestige and you're famous and you, you're out there, you've got to be really careful. 
Because that stuff will cause pride. And God's not going to use people filled with pride. So with that in mind, let's look at poor in spirit for just a second. The closest word that I can come up with it in the English language is humility. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice, first of all, the necessary attitude of humility. If you don't come with this attitude, you cannot be saved. And some of you may be sitting in church today or you may be listening to me and you've never been saved because you've never had this attitude. What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's look at the word poor. The word poor, there are three words in the New Testament for poor and Jesus chose this one. It is the word that means bankrupt. It is the word that means beggarly poor. Classical Greek used that word uh, makarios to, to indicate a beggar who was begging actually had their hand over their face while they've got their hand out because they don't want people to see them. Now this is the same word that is used in Luke 16 to describe Lazarus who was a beggar who died and went to Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise and went to and the rich man died. Same word. It is not the word however used for the widow who gave all she had in the offering, the might. She was a lady of poverty. She was poor but she wasn't beggarly poor and that's the word here. Jesus said Blessed are the beggarly poor, the spiritually bankrupt. You've got nothing to offer God. Oh, now wait a minute. After all, I, I came to the Lord and I wasn't that bad of a person. But I want to tell you something. Yes, you were. Now, Jesus is not advocating material poverty. You know, there's a lot of people today that think, well, I got to give up everything I have and I've got to live in poverty. Jesus never said that. Some of you may think you're in poverty. I heard of a man told me one time, he said, we were so poor at my house when I was growing up that the mice ate out most of the time. <laughs> I had another man went to his boss and said, boss, I'm asking you for a raise because there's three companies after me. The boss said, really, what companies are that? He said, the electric, gas, and telephone company. <laughs> but being poor does not make you happy because there are sad people who are rich and poor. There are happy people who are rich and poor. Actually, money has absolutely nothing to do with this. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can still be poor in spirit, it says. So you need to understand that if you're going to say, well, I'm going to take a vow of poverty. <laughs> so go ahead and do it. It's not going to make you any more spiritual. That's not what he means. To be beggarly poor in spirit is to recognize your spiritual poverty apart from God. When you come to the Lord, you realize I'm lost, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless. There's not one good thing that dwells in me. I have nothing to offer God except my sin. Now, it's hard for religious people. It's hard for religious people. And some of us have been religious all our life. Some of us felt like we were born in the church. 
That's hard for religious people because, see, religious people know they still need to be saved, but they come with this attitude that says, you know, I know Jesus saved me, but he saved me about 75% because about 25% of me was already on the way. You, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, after all, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. I'm a, I'm a good person. And, 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 you know, Jesus didn't have to save me quite as much as he did this guy over here in the gutter. That's what I'm trying to say. But I got news for you. You're as bad as the guy in the gutter. All of us are. Not any of us in here deserved to be saved. And the word in spirit means that we have the sense of true humility. It's not an act. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I couldn't have been saved without Jesus. It means really in your spirit, in your mind, Lord, I know that if it wasn't for you, I'd be lost. Period. Reminds me of a guy who went to the psychologist who's having some trouble and psychologist said, what's your problem? He said, I've got an inferiority complex. So he put him through a battery of tests and several weeks later called him back. He said, I've got some news for you. It's not a complex. You are inferior. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, when it comes to God, we are inferior. Not even close. Not even close. You're not even in the same park with the holiness of God. In spirit means it's genuine in our spirit, we must know and admit our spiritual bankruptcy before we can know God. Now, the second thing I want you to note is the arrangement of it, the new miracle arrangement of it. It's the first one. It's the first beatitude, as we call it. Why would Jesus put that first? Because they are progressive. The beatitudes are progressive. And, and the rest of the sermon cannot be lived by a person who's not saved. They can't. It can't be done. You might pull out a few truths here and there. But unless you have come to God through Jesus, the rest of it is going to be nonsense to you. You can't do it. The reason it's first is because until you come this way, you cannot be saved Listen to me, pride has absolutely nothing to offer. Pride has no part of Christ's kingdom. It's pride that made Adam and Eve sin in the garden to begin with, and it's pride that keeps people from coming to God because they have to admit, I am lost, I am hopeless, I am helpless, I am unsaved, and until I come to God through Jesus, I am, I'm doomed. But pride keeps people from doing that. You know, they brag about how good they are. Texans like to brag, don't they? We got a lot to brag about. That's why. I heard about a Texan that was talking to his Oklahoma cousin, called him an Okie. He was saying, oh, man, everything in Texas is bigger and better. And the Okie said, that's right. And his cousin said, you're agreeing with me? He said, yeah, everything's bigger in Texas. I once heard of a Texan who was so big, they couldn't find a coffin big enough to bury him in when he died. Well, what'd they do? Well, they let the air out of him and put him in a matchbox. <laughs> when it comes to God, they're going to let the air out of us. We, got, we want him fit in a matchbox. The, the fact is, we have nothing. No one, no one, no way, no how can come to the kingdom except through spiritual 
begging. The church at Laodicea said, we don't need anything. We're wealthy. We're rich. We need nothing. And Jesus said, they don't even know. They don't even know. They're wretched and they're miserable and they're poor and they're blind and they're naked. You see, those who refuse to recognize that they are lost and helpless are like the blind person who insisted they were not blind, but that the world was permanently dark. When self is exalted, Christ cannot be exalted. Where self is king, Christ cannot be king. Until the proud in spirit become the poor in spirit, they cannot receive salvation. And there are a lot of people in churches today who have a lot of pride. I've actually had people tell me, not in this church, but in other churches I've dealt with, pastor, preacher, if I leave this church, this place will fold up. Yeah, once you go stick your foot in a bucket of water and pull your food out, foot out and see how long that hole lasts right there. You see, that is pride. Pride with pride. That's why it's so hard for people to come to Christ. Pride. Now, we see the attitude and the arrangement. But let's talk about the needed acquisition of it. How do we get it? How am I going to get humility? <laughs> well, we're going to have a humility class. I'm teasing. You know what? Humility is not something you can go get. You can't earn it. <laughs> you can't buy it. Humility is when we realize through God's revealing to us just how sinful we are. So you know what? If I was going to get humility, I think, well, I'll go out here and I'm going to join a monastery somewhere. I'm going to get away from everybody. Or I'm going to go out here and make myself miserable. That's called asceticism. When I deny anything my body has a desire to do, I'm going to deny it. If it feels good, I'm not going to do it. If it tastes good, I'm going to spit it out. That doesn't bring you humility. What about all the self-denial or the mutilation or other self-efforts? Because you know what happens? You begin to say, Look what I've done about, look how, look how close to God I am. You know, I, I live out here away from everybody. Well, if you got that attitude, it's a blessing you live away from everybody. Did I really just say that? You see, you cannot brag about your humility. Oh, thank God I'm so humble. College recruiter came to a high school basketball star and he said to the, the basketball player, I hear you're pretty good. And basketballers, yeah, I'm the best there is. I average 45 points a game. I'm the best rebounder in my high school. I led our team to three undefeated seasons and three state championships. The recruiter said, that's incredible. But do, do you have any weaknesses? And he said, yeah, one, I tend to exaggerate a little bit. <laughs> well, when you and I began to talk about our humility, we're exaggerating. You don't tell anybody you're humble. You don't wear a badge. You don't look like I'm humble. So how do you become poor in spirit? How do you, how do you reach that? Well, I didn't write this down for you, but I, I will share with you a couple of things. First of all, you've got to turn your eyes off yourself and look to God. 
We are so self-absorbed in this society, it is sickening. Everybody, all they think about is themselves. My rights, my offenses, my this, my, 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 my. And we bring it in the church. And instead of turning our eyes upon the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you that I've got a church to go to. Thank you that I've got a family to be a part of. Thank you for my salvation. We walk in going, you're in my spot. You parked in my place. It's too cold. You preach too long. You're too loud. The music's too loud. And on and on and on. And see, we got ourselves and we're self-absorbed. You want to start beginning to come in. You ought to come crawling in and saying, Lord, I don't even deserve to be here today. Now, you don't literally have to crawl in here. But poor in spirit, you're starting to turn your eyes upon the Lord and say, Lord, I... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to do what I get to do. I'm not worthy. And instead of looking for praise and compliments and popularity, you and I need to be careful of that. We need to be wary of it. If somebody compliments you, somebody thanks you and so forth, it's, that's not evil. But it's when you begin to seek it. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be recognized. That's when it becomes a problem. See, see, some of us are in here thinking, you know what? This church fold up without me. Church was here before you and I ever came on the scene. It'll be here after we're gone. Now, hopefully, they will miss us. <laughs> but I got news for you. The church doesn't belong to you and me. It belongs to Jesus. As long as Jesus is here, there will be a church until he takes the church out in the rapture. Well, Spurgeon said, listen, I'm going to read this slowly. Success exposes a man to the pressure of people and thus tempts him to hold on to his gains by means of fleshly methods and practices. And to let himself be ruled wholly by the dictatorial demands of incessant or constant expansion. Success can go to my head and, and will unless I remember that it is God who accomplishes the work, that he can continue to do so without my help, and that he will be able to make it without me. Lou Holtz. Coached several uh, foot, uh, college football teams. Notre Dame. Before he went to Notre Dame, he was at Arkansas. He was being interviewed television. And he said, yeah, when I was at Arkansas, I, he said, I know how to be on top and I know how to be on bottom. He said, at Arkansas, my first year, we won the Orange Bowl. Then everybody loved me. They put me in the Arkansas Hall of Fame. They even issued a commemorative stamp in my honor. Said the next year we lost to Texas, they had to take away the stamp because people kept spitting on the wrong side of it. <laughs> it's not a sin to be given praise and encouragement, but the evil is, is when you start seeking that. It's all about me. No, it's all about God. And Southcrest, if we ever get that thought in our mind that look at what we are doing and instead of look what God is doing, then God's going to quit working here. People ask, what's going on at Southcrest? What are y'all doing? God is blessing. We're trying not to mess it up because we sure can. We can sure mess it up. You know, another way is to just come to God and ask for it. Like David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Ask God, help me. Help me to remember who I am. Help me to remember what you've done for me. So that's how you get it. You just remember who you are in Christ, and that's it. Not anything you did that made you there, got you there. It's who you are in Jesus and what he's done for you. You didn't bring anything to the table. He brought it all. He brought it all. Now, let's talk about the attributes, the notable attributes. What does that look like? What does humility look like? Well, I've already kind of mentioned it. I borrowed a few of these uh, quotes or points from Thomas Watson who wrote the book, The Beatitudes. Here are a few principles. He's, first of all, when we are weaned from ourself. We're not thinking about ourselves all the time. And for some, that's going to be a hard thing. I need to wean myself from me. In fact, we ought to have the attitude of Paul who said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He later wrote to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We ought to be lost in the wonder of Jesus. Why did he save you? You ever thought about it? You didn't deserve it. Why did he save any of us? Now, we think we're pretty nice guys to one another. And we can look around us, and we can find somebody in here who's a little worse off than we are. We think, well, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner, but, you know, there's, there's so-and-so over there. I, I know I'm not as bad as they are. But then walks Jesus in perfect righteousness and holiness. And we don't have a tendency to stand by him, do we? No, no, I need to find somebody else I can compare myself to over here. Another attribute or another sign of humility is when we see the strengths and virtues of other people as well as our own weaknesses and sin. We know who we are. We know that we, with humility of mind, regard other people as important do you believe every person in this room is important? Do you really believe that? Do you believe everybody in this room is just as saved as you are if they've come to Christ? Now, I'm going to tell you this one next one. You're not going to like it. You may not like what I'm talking about anyway, but you're really not going to like this one. In true humility, listen carefully. We will not complain about our situation no matter how bad it may become because we know we deserve worse than anything we can experience in this life. We will consider no circumstance to be unfair. Oh, my word. Why me, Lord? Why, why did you do this to me? Why is this happening to me? Like we deserve something better than anybody else. I got news for you. The Lord doesn't answer, but he could say, why not? After all, you guys are the ones that messed up the world. You live in a sin-infested world where disease and heartache and tragedy is an everyday occurrence, and you're not going to get out of this world alive unless the rapture occurs. He said, what are you expecting? 
See, some people get mad at God. Let me tell you something. Nothing you go through on this earth would even come close to how awful it would be to spend eternity in hell. And this suffering is only for a short time. Especially when we suffer for the Lord's sake. Paul wrote in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Lord, I'm sorry for all my complaining. I know I don't feel well, and it's okay. God can handle our complaining. But when we get to the point where we say, well, look, Lord, I served you all my life. Why did you let this happen to me? He said, because you're in the human race, and a human race lives in a sinful world, and bad stuff happens to everybody. He said, I didn't promise you I would deliver you from it. I promised you I would walk with you through it. And when we get home one day, when we finally get to home, we're going to go, man, what was I complaining about on earth? This is absolutely awesome. And it really wasn't long compared to eternity. Your life looks like a little speck compared to eternity. I'm not making light of your situation. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, one of the facts we realize is, Lord, if you've allowed me to go through this, and I'm going to walk through this with you. When you spend time in prayer, you see, a beggar, if they don't have anything, is going to keep begging for food because they want to stay alive. If you are spiritual poverty, in which we all are, we're going to come to the Lord in prayer because it shows us that we need him. When you don't pray, it shows you don't need him. You're doing it on your own power. You don't need God. You got a lot of pride. I don't need to pray. I don't need God. Well, you wouldn't stand up and say, I don't need God. But when you don't ever pray, isn't that the same thing? Spiritual beggars keep begging through the Lord. We knock and heaven's gates are open. And we're going to praise and thank God for his grace. Every time we sing a word, a song about grace, I, I just, I think it's only by God's grace that any of us were worthy to be saved. So I want to tell you something. You can sit in church and not know Jesus. You can have been baptized as a child and not know Jesus. You can, be, you can live a pretty good moral life compared to someone else and still not know Jesus because I don't care how good looking, good works you do, you are lost without him. You are a spiritual beggar coming saying, Lord Jesus, if you don't save me, I have no hope. Now, one last thing. Notice the noble awards of humility. Now, that's probably not the best way to say it, but it says, blessed are the beggarly poor in spirit for theirs. And actually, it's emphatic. It says, theirs and theirs alone. They're the only ones is the kingdom of God. Man. You mean I give up all my stuff here on this earth and God gives me his stuff? Yeah. You mean when I, when I come to God with nothing, he gives me his kingdom? Yeah. That's what he said. And the reason he put it first is because to be, to be saved, you have to come humbly. Now, what does this mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? Obviously, we're thinking of heaven because a lot of times it's synonymous. 
But folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus wasn't talking about just heaven in the sweet by and by. He's also talking about the nasty now and now that we live in. Because a lot of us think, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you now. Because think about it. The kingdom of God has a king. Who's the king? Seems to me like we sang earlier, King Jesus, didn't we? The king's in the kingdom. And when you're given the kingdom of God, you're given the king. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the, the strength of the Lord in your life. The king also protects his kingdom. 1 Peter 5, 7, 7 says, casting all my cares on him, for he cares for you. You got some big cares today? Got any troubles? You got any gripes? Got some complaints besides the sermon? <laughs> you think God can't handle it? Well, I'm pretty sure I, I got one that I'm not sure God can handle it. You're out of your mind. God can handle everything. He didn't say he was going to take you out of it. He didn't say he'd make it go away. He didn't say everything's, all your circumstances are going to be happy. He just said, you belong to me. I know your name. I'm going to walk through the fire with you. Did you see that part of that song the choir just sang? He walks, stands in the fire beside me. He said, I'll be with you. I'll protect you. I'm going to protect you to the point that nothing, nothing can take this from you. This peace that you have, this inward joy, this blessedness that you have, he said, nothing can take this from you. You can be sick till you just feel terrible. They won't take it from you because you're at peace with me. I've saved you. You belong to me. I'm going to walk through it with you. And also this power that comes with it. That word kingdom means stronghold. It's a place of power, authority. God grants power to those who renounce their power. He gives us the ability to live in the kingdom here on earth. I close with this. There was a church in England that had three mission churches. Once a year, on the first Sunday of the year, they would have all of the people in the mission points that were out in the slums come together with them for one big service of communion. Now, out in these mission points where they were located in the slums of the city, there were some outstanding conversions. There were thieves and burglars and convicts that had come to Christ. And on one occasion when they had all this joint service, the pastor saw a former thief kneeling by one of his prominent members who happened to be a very distinguished judge on the high court of England. And so you had a very distinguished judge and a convicted thief who had become a Christian, had served his time, become a Christian, and now was serving the Lord, but they were kneeling right side by side. The pastor thought they didn't even notice each other. 
And after the service was over, when the, the judge came by the pastor, he said, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail today? And the pastor said, yeah, I didn't think you noticed. And they walked outside for a minute, didn't say anything. And then all of a sudden the judge said, what a marvelous miracle of grace. And the pastor agreed, said, yeah, what a marvelous miracle of grace. And then the judge looked at him and said, who do you think I'm talking about? Pastor said, I thought you were referring to the thief. And the judge said, no. He said it was natural for the burglar to respond to God's grace when he came out of jail. His life was nothing but a desperate history of crime. And when he saw the Savior, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. He understood how much he needed that help. But he said, Pastor, I, I was taught from the earliest infancy to be a gentleman. I was taught to be a man of my, my word. My word was my bond. And I was to say my prayers. I was to go to church. I went to Oxford, got all of my degrees. I was called to the bar and eventually ascended to this place as a judge. He said, my friend, it was God's grace that drew me. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive Christ. He said, I'm a bigger miracle of grace than that thief. And folks, I want to tell you, it's easy for people who go to church to think they never need to come to know Jesus. Because after all, they've been going to church all their life. They know all the lingo. They know all the choreography. They know all the stuff. But they've never come to Jesus because they never really came 100% beggarly, poor in spirit Almost like, well, Lord, I, I know I need to be saved, but I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of halfway there now because I've been coming to church. Listen to it one more time. Blessed. Approved by God is what that word also means. Blessed. I'm approved by God. I have an inner contentment and satisfaction and peace. Blessed. Are the beggarly poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now and forever. If you don't know Jesus. You got no hope. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you, Pastor David. Who are the poor in spirit? Well, the best answer for us is those who are humble. And in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus emphasizes humility's vital importance. In today's message, we explore the necessity of humility, humility's proper order among the other Beatitudes, how humility is acquired, the noteworthy attributes of humility, and the multiple awards that come from humility, all vital truths for us to grasp if we are to live in Christ's blessedness. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555 888. 
You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.